0: Sound money is not just a novelty, but it's what should be money to start with.
1: They now have to keep printing or we crash. We've got this ticking time bomb. Talking gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire. Welcome to Live from the vault. Hi there, my name is Shane Moran, and I'll be your host for this week's episode of Live from the Vault. So welcome to the show that goes beyond the headlines and uncovers the truth about the precious metals industry and the effects on the global economy in these historic times. With exclusive access to experts and insiders, we reveal information and insights that you simply won't find anywhere else. Now this week, we have the one and only Andrew McGuire, precious metals expert and whistleblower in the house. And to help him pull back the curtain, we'll be joined very shortly here by Mr. Daniel Lacal. You'll get to meet him in a second. That's right. Danielle Lacal is in the house. You're not going to want to miss this conversation here. But just before we get started, please help us spread the word about this channel by hitting that like button, by sharing, and by subscribing. And if you've already subscribed, if you want to hit the bell... Right there, we will notify you as each of these episodes goes live. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest uh, today. His name is Daniel LaCalle. He's a Spanish economist, and he has worked as an investment manager and a professor of global economics. He's the author of several economics books, as well as being a columnist, contributor to various print and digital publications. And with that, let's head over to the UK and talking gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire, and our special guest, Mr. Daniel Lacalle. Over to you, Andy. Well, Daniel, it is
2: a real pleasure. Thank you very much for spending the t- taking the time to join us today. Um, you have a huge following out there, uh, very well respected. And while we sometimes are a little bit, you know, polarized to just gold, they're all the crosses are so important that uh, also influence goals so' I'm going to take this opportunity to to ask you what you're seeing uh, in a much on a much more wider basis and um and that would be just great um to to get those um our subscribers really you know would appreciate that that kind of uh, information and today and I just want to make uh, because this will be um Published a little bit later. I just want to let everyone know that we're recording this episode, I think, what, just under two hours before the FOMC announcement. Um, And I think the market appears to have baked in. I'm going to ask you this uh, question about this, but appears to have baked in a 25 basis point hike uh, with the general, I guess, the general consensus is future hikes will be data dependent. Uh, But, however, but, Daniel, however, Following a, a, such a, a rapid period of, 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 of rates being too low and then a rapid period of, um, or a long period of too low, and then a rapid period of rising uh, rates, uh, I mean, does this not risk um, a potential further banking occasion uh, over and above what we've just witnessed?
0: uh i certainly uh thank you so much andrew first uh, for for this opportunity it's a great pleasure to speak with you um what we're seeing right now is 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 unprecedented uh we have gone from excess on the supply side to excess on the contraction side and it's i think Many of the people that are watching us right now and listening to us will understand why the Federal Reserve is making two gigantic mistakes in such a short period of time. And it's because for more than, it's now almost two decades that the Federal Reserve and uh, the major central banks of the world don't pay attention to monetary aggregates at all, to the point that as our viewers will will, will know, is that the United States doesn't publish M3 figures anymore. And um, and when you don't pay attention to monetary aggregates, you make mistakes on the way in and on the way out, which is what is happening right now. Uh, uh, the Federal Reserve made a gigantic uh, mistake thinking that there would be no inflation when they increased money supply by five times more than what we considered already an excess. Now, and they're making a gigantic mistake by hiking rates while at the same time being hugely accommodative, because this is another another important thing, is that the reduction in the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve is not just going slow, it's going massively slower than what it should be, no? So, what is going on right now is particularly concerning for a very simple reason. As you know, if we want to curb inflation, there are three things that need to happen and all of them at the same time. First, you need to hike rates. That is true. Second, you have to reduce the balance sheet, the amount of money in the system, the quantity of money in the system, the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve, if we want to call it that way. Third, you need to reduce government spending, which is what created the money excess to start with. This third part is not happening at all and this is a huge problem because the entire burden of normalization is falling on the shoulders of families and businesses, which obviously are the fabric of the economy. Therefore, what we are living right now is on the one hand, a GDP print that is not particularly negative, that looks even, even positive. Uh, a, a certainly apparently robust labor market that on the other hand shows negative real wage growth. So not that robust, no? Mm. Um, and a government spending that is not just not even, even scratching the surface of reduction. Therefore, there's more units of currency in the system. That's why core inflation is elevated. That's why prices are uh, declining on an annualized basis. But remember, in June, prices rose. No? Mm. So the environment right
2: now is one of disguised normalization, I would call it. Interesting, and I think what you're just outlining to me, and and again, I'm I'm not a specialist in the subjects you're talking about here, but um, it's it it it's what it does raise raise questions in my mind. Is is the belief that U.S. Treasuries are are a risk free asset class? I mean, look, if the U.S. government can't repay its debt and I mean, is a default not inevitable, especially as I understand in, in 2022, it was the, wasn't was that the worst year for U.S. treasuries in American history? Mm-hmm. It was. It certainly was. And 2022,
0: basically, completely debunked the entire fallacy of MMT, the the so-called modern monetary theory, which is not modern and is not a theory because it's been implemented for centuries all over the world, printing money for no reason. No? But it completely debunked. We saw how bonds that were supposed to be risk-free fell in the market as much as risky assets. We saw the currency in Japan Collapsing to 40-year lows. We saw the currency in the UK also a very stable currency, also declining quite severely. So uh, a number of things. Uh, we there are a number of alarms, alarm bells out there that are showing us that it is completely incorrect to think that uh, sovereign bonds are a risk-free asset. The and more importantly, if there is one element of evidence that tells us that uh, although it might be uh, demanded it continues to be extremely weak because of the challenges on the fiscal uh, front, then we start to understand why we have so much volatility. It's showing us that there is no such thing as a risk-free asset. There is no such thing as the concept of uh, government spending and deficit spending creates reserves for the private sector. It's a completely ludicrous uh, viewpoint. That is predicated on a on an analysis of the economy that is upside down. That is thinking that wealth and and progress comes from government spending and debt, not from uh, investing and saving. No, so um, very concerning environment, I would say, because we are starting to see something that many people uh, did not even fathom, which was that. We have seen uh, the Federal Reserve and major central banks hike rates, okay? Fair enough. But rate hikes have made credit demand plummet, both in the United States and in the Euro area. And at the same time, inflation remains extremely elevated. So the narrative has changed. The narrative has changed from, from combating inflation to making people believe that three, four percent inflation annualized is, is a success. And it is not, obviously. It is a massive wealth destruction with negative real wage growth, with negative <laughs> returns, obviously, and loss of purchasing power of the currency. So we're living in a slow, hmm, but Almost uh, relentless debasement of fiat currencies.
2: That absolutely makes sense. So, and, and interestingly, I mean, obviously, some, you know, I was trying to equate what's going on to to gold as well. And <clears throat> so, interestingly, as you say, sovereign 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 uh, bonds, sovereign treasuries <clears throat> are not, as many people seem to, I talk to, seem to th- feel that it's the first year asset class, but. As of the 1st of January of this year, Basel III NSFR standards came in where physical, where where over the counter foreign exchange gold, i.e., gold that is traded against the dollar, the euro, et cetera, et cetera, held in, uh, that lands in London, um, has to be one to one, physically backed by bullion. Now, interestingly, now we're finding a lot, and we have connections with a lot of uh, large clients. First-year banks, etc., <clears throat> who are saying that, yeah, you know what, we're actually seeing some diversity into, whereas um, it, it, uh, with, with NSFR uh, Basel three NSFR standards in place for gold, it is also becoming a it's become a first-year asset class. Now, if you're dealing in physical gold, that has zero counterparty risk, absolutely zero counterparty risk because All the energy that went into making it is already paid for. Therefore, um, what's your thoughts? I completely agree with you.
0: The only risk... Uh, that you have with physical gold is obviously the fact that it is uh, physical, that it's difficult to store, and that, as we have seen, unfortunately, at least once in history, is that uh, it can be confiscated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we should not forget that in an era of financial repression. But what I think is very important about what you just said is the underlying trend of what is changing in the central bank world relative to gold. We have seen for two consecutive years a record purchase of gold from central banks that was uh, was actually even considered as ludicrous a few years ago. A few years ago, you might remember that there was an entire debate saying that it made no sense for central banks to hold gold as a reserve. And what we're seeing is the opposite, which is it, it truly interesting, because it means that something is changing. The, the Chinese central bank does not trust the U.S. dollar entirely as its main reserve base. Same thing happening with the Russian central bank, with many other central banks all over the world. So so on the one hand, we're seeing a massive purchase of gold from central banks. On the other hand, the move to physical gold is strengthening relative to the belief. That I, for example, lived a few years ago, 10, 15 years ago in the market, where what people said is basically what you have to do is, is buy an ETF, everything else doesn't matter. No. And the reason why that why we are seeing such massive purchases of physical gold is because a lot of central banks after the decision to freeze the accounts of the russian central bank and other monetary measures uh, because of of political purposes etc are basically starting to get exceedingly uh, concerned about the possibility that the units of digits that we own in our accounts can vanish very very quickly no mm-hmm. So a lot of people that I speak with say, well, but this would be like going back to the, to, to the old times, having coins, you know, in the basement and, and all those things that are, have nothing to do with, with modern money. No, it has to do with real money, huh? Real money is not a paper or a, or a digit, or is something that we that we can exchange for goods and services in a uh, in a difficult period of time. And if anything, all this process is showing that gold is real money, and that everything else is credit, as J.P. Morgan was uh, uh, I believe uh,
2: quoted saying. Yeah, and I think I think this is <clears throat> this is interesting because I think we see this pivot point. So many things coming together um, <clears throat> at this point. So so the very fact is that when the Bank of International Settlements, who traditionally has seven had had, had uh, swapped seven hundred tons of gold, in fact, in the last year, um, as just before by November of twenty twenty two, they covered all five hundred tons of swaps. Got rid of all their paper gold exposure, and literally were, and that really uh, reflects what we're seeing at other central banks, and what you've just outlined as well. Is plenty of other central banks are saying, you know what? I, you know, we need a hedge here. We need a bit of of the dollar. What, anything could happen. It's happened to us once before. Once bitten, twice shy. So, so it's 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 evolved. But what's interesting to me, what because obviously <laughs> so close to gold all the time. What's interesting, while this is happening, while this is going on, then you look at the current ratio of gold to foreign debts outstanding, US Treasuries. It's under, in fact, it's under, it used to be 6%, I think it's closer to 4%. Uh, but even accepting this unadjusted level, 6% level, the ratio used to be 20 to 40% as a historical average. And And so I think the Bank of International Settlements Looking forward, it's a diversion from what the, the Fed seems to see. Ultimately, I think they ultimately expect that after Basel III. So, if we restored, I'm just looking, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, guys, but if we restored 20 to 40% ratio of gold to foreign debts outstanding, that puts gold at about six to 12,000 bucks. I mean, and, it, and in 1981, that went up to 140% collateralized by gold. So I mean, you know, talking forty grand, and I'm not saying that those are the those are realistic numbers, but it has to be put into context with why is the Fed so out of touch? Well,
0: uh, to start with, the Fed doesn't look at the price of gold at all, at all, huh? and uh, to the extent that I've, I've had the, the pleasure of, of meeting numerous. Members of, uh, of of the Federal Reserve and, and other central banks, uh, none of them even consider gold at all. Mm-hmm. They may talk about housing, they may talk about stocks, they may talk about bonds, but never about gold. And it comes back to what we were saying before: they stopped talking about monetary aggregates, or at least considering them, and they stopped as well thinking about gold as as money or as or as a or as an asset to compare, as you very well did right now, with outstanding levels of debt or the outstanding or, – or I remember when I started in macroeconomics, when central banks used to actually measure the percentage of gold relative to total reserves, hmm? which actually, from a central bank perspective, would make some sense, no, because they, they they obviously don't care about debt as much as they should, but they certainly care about reserves, no? So, what is going on is basically, uh, evidently, uh, clearly a level of denial about what is going on and the diminishing returns of expansionary monetary policy, okay? Uh, You know, if we look at money in history, what has happened in the last 20 years is an anecdote. It's, It's nothing, no? So it's so frustrating to see academic works and central bank works talking about what is going on in the monetary system, looking at 30, maybe 20 years maximum, which is ir- irrelevant, to be fairly honest. You know? That's why they made the mistake of saying that increasing money supply would not generate inflation, because the period of time that they looked at to analyze that causation, was so small, was so absolutely minuscule compared to history that it was statistically irrelevant and definitely, from an empirical perspective, completely ludicrous. Um, so the, the so what coming back to your point, um, the the level of appreciation opportunity of gold is quite significant. Absolutely, it is. But what we cannot deny is that gold, if, if the Federal Reserve pushes the world into a deflationary spiral, gold is not going to achieve that potential in terms of absolute price very, very soon because all asset prices are relative to something. And we may actually see something that looks uh, uh, illogical, but that makes sense on a relative basis, which is the strengthening of the U.S. dollar. Okay, only because it's not—it's not because it's the best asset in the world. Is because it is—it is in a fire the house with the largest number of windows and doors. It's liquidity, and the big problem that gold has to achieve its price potential uh, steadily and, and quickly is liquidity is that we have discussed before the importance of physical gold relative to ETF gold, no? because everybody understands that if we have uh, another financial crisis and there's a collateral, collateral risk of uh, your counterparty or your, uh, your prime broker, It doesn't matter if you own ETFs in gold or in the Nikkei or in the S&P 500. It's exactly the same, uh, nothing, no? Mm -hmm. So I think that it's the liquidity aspect that makes gold uh, take longer to generate its, let's say, uh, price potential relative to what we see in the economy. However, what is interesting at the same time is not to look at gold in US dollars alone, Mm -hmm. yeah, is tell this that we're discussing right now to anybody that is watching us in Argentina, (laughs) or in Venezuela, or in Iran, or in Turkey, is the number of fiat currencies that are completely being destroyed relative to the dollar and to gold, and uh, that that have no other alternative, and I think that, that is what matters to me is is as I look at the global monetary picture, is that if I had one two percent of global currencies in destruction mode in internal destruction mode twenty five years ago, right now that figure has risen to about. 15 to 16% of all global fiat currencies. So if we look at what is happening globally, we look at it relative to the dollar without understanding that the dollar obviously is losing purchasing power. The inflation uh, in dollar terms is very elevated. But at the same time, that is happening to many other currencies, tell that to the Japanese who were... (laughs) <laughs> who were told that they had found the magic formula that would make their currency strong and at the same time increase massively their financial and fiscal and fiscal imbalances so i think that that is what's going on and the and the liquidity aspect is what let's say prevents gold from reaching the potential that it could reach Based on the fundamentals that you outlined,
2: uh, as quickly as we would imagine, and you've rightly outlined, it's all about liquidity. And and I think I think <clears throat> when we look at the U.S. and I think specifically um, Bank of International Settlements, most other central banks now, interestingly, have reversed out of. The over 50-something years that when Nixon took gold off the, the convertibility, to uh, dollars to, to to gold convertibility, and the, the Comix was formed two years later. And one of the many things about it was you can create a lot of liquidity. It's paper market liquidity. And I think what's interesting here is when you, you almost limitless amounts of paper market liquidity. And so what's interesting here to me is now that uh, that Basel III NSFR standards have been imposed on the rest of the globe outside of what's going on in the U.S., which is non-compliant at this point. And what we're seeing is an inflection point. That's an, I believe, is an opportunity point because tomorrow, notably tomorrow, and I'm sure you know, um, the Fed has an open meeting to discuss the final implementation of Basel III International Registry Framework um, on the US. And I think it finally brings the United States into compliance with um, obviously any bank that's got 100 billion or more of total assets, which includes all the Fed banks, agent banks. I mean, essentially what that does is start to bring a potentially, because if you're gonna do that, you're gonna also have to be compliant for gold, and all other asset classes. Now, I'm not saying that would happen overnight, but it's interesting that this is all seems to be happening at once. Yeah. I think that
0: what you are mentioning is critical, is that all the stars are aligning. And if we don't pay attention to how many stars are aligning at the same time, we might miss important opportunities. Uh, In a very short period of time, Mm -hmm. because this is another important thing that many people fail to get is that the movement in price is likely to happen very severely and very quickly. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be, oh, you know, let's see when the trend starts to change, no you know, because it's, you know, and you just have to look at the, at the chart or the, the gold chart. is a, a very interesting chart always because you see big moves very quickly huh? and then a relatively stable period of time, if throughout a period of time. So stars aligning the regulation that you just mentioned. Obviously, central banks. Tend to do with regulation, what they, uh, you know, uh, what uh, <laughs> what uh, the uh, what fiscal authorities do with taxes, okay? <laughs> um, interpretation. But uh, t- but being serious, regulation is, is is very important. The change in dynamic about what is a reserve for numerous central banks all over the world, the debasement of fiat currencies. That is accelerating all around the world, and at the same time, an environment in which the, um, it is very evident that the monetary policy uh, marginal return is, 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 is lower and getting to be negative. Think about this, the eurozone. Eurozone in the middle of the European uh, Next Generation Fund, which is newly printed money uh, to start with, the, with negative rates for a decade, with a the, the balance sheet that is almost double that of the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, with all of those things in recession. Mm-hmm. So all those things are starting to align. To tell us that from a fundamental perspective, we look at supply and demand, and precious metals, gold in particular, certainly have a very, very interesting and, and, and quite tight environment of, of supply relative to demand. But also from the monetary aspect, we're, we're seeing an important change globally about what the world perceives as an acceptable
2: reserve to support the national currency. and and interesting another thing and obviously one can make of it along one which cuz it's 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 uh, it's already been uh, reuters have already uh, come out and said it, it's not going to happen but we have over 40 nations that have expressed an interest in joining the brics plus trading block uh, next month at the august um, summit uh, I mean, obviously, Reuters have. There's been a lot of pushback about the. Oh no, they're not going to discuss a, a global currency. Well, hang on. Uh, that's not what our contacts are saying in Russia, and and so it's it's interesting because obviously, uh, Reuters is also a, a, a mouthpiece for the U.S. government. I mean, clearly, I mean, they're not going to uh, they're going to try and try and play this down. But what's interesting is that if. And I'm not saying this is this is for sure a gold back or partly gold back uh, commodity currency that for a trade between these nations. Um, it, it would actually be the glue that would bind this trading block together. And. It cannot be ignored. And, and I think, obviously, you know, the yuan, the ruble, it's not liquid enough to ultimately, and the, these are these, these have capital controls. I've heard you talking about this. They're not liquid enough to ultimately replace trillions of dollars of energy and commodity trade between these nations. But ultimately, there is really only one solution. It would be an alternative gold-backed, partly gold-backed commodity currents. Currency, I mean, your thoughts on this, Daniel, is this another factor we should be looking at? I think it is a factor that we should
0: be looking at. I think it should not be shrugged off, certainly. Uh, I think that I also think that right now there is no alternative to the U.S. dollar. And the main reason why there's no alternative to the U.S. dollar today is because everyone that could be a contender is making the same mistakes or worse than the Federal Reserve. And therefore, why bother? No? If I want an alternative, it has to be a real alternative. And the reason why it shouldn't be shrugged off is not because this may work, but because the idea makes total sense. You see what I mean? It's not that the Brazil, Russia, India, and China currency is going to work, and now you'll explain why I believe it won't, is that they're onto something, is that the idea makes sense. Mm -hmm. I know that the execution will be wrong because they implement capital controls on their own citizens Mm -hmm. and because two out of the four have a history of destroying the purchasing power of their own currency only comparable to that of Turkey. That is the reason why I believe that it will not work. And I say, if anybody allows me the joke, I call it, The Beatles with four Ringo's, with all due respect to Ringo. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is that everybody is shrugging it off because they know that a combination of the yuan, the ruble, the, the, the Brazilian real, and the Indian rupee is very unlikely to work relative to the US dollar because of all those things that make a fiat currency be demanded are not there, which are to start with, independent institutions and free flow of capital and investor security. But those things change. Those things change. Hmm? And what's more important is what you said, is is that when citizens are told that somebody is thinking about a currency that will be backed by gold or backed by gold and commodities, Citizens understand that that makes more sense than a currency based on faith. They, people do understand it. Now, you may question whether the ones that are willing to implement it now are the ones that will succeed or not. But the fundamental idea of a nation's currency having a true collateral in wealth and wealth creating proven uh, commodities, whatever you want to call it, is very is is very understandable by citizens. So the formula makes sense. The implementation, or the ones that will implement it may not make sense which is the debate right now the debate right now is about who is going to implement it not the form, not the idea mm-hmm. and i think that the idea makes total sense now the this may be very well like what we are living right now we are living right now in our conversation the uh, success created by a failure the success of this platform with which we are talking with 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 uh, uh, all uh, the technological advances comes from the failure of the velociraptors of Enron. That doesn't mean that, you see, that the idea was wrong, but the implementation was wrong. So uh, it should not be shrugged off. Mm-hmm. I think that the reason why central banks all over the world are buying more gold is precisely because they're not stupid. Let's start, you know. Nobody in a central bank is stupid. Huh? Uh, and therefore, we should be uh, consistently reminding people of the importance of sound money as the way to gel all these ideas that are floating around that we may uh, agree or disagree, that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter, to be fairly honest. What matters is that citizens know today, the United States, that they have full employment and that their wages are giving, are getting negative real growth. That's what they know. What they know is that the money that they receive, purchasing power of the units of currency that they receive is coming down all over the world. And that's, therefore, I think it's a very important time to not just simply shrug off the idea of sound money, but to remember that sound money is not just a novelty, but it's what should
2: be money to start with. And this is a process. And as you've said, this is a process. So um, obviously, I think um, I, what you've discussed, I mean, it's good to have your opinion and, and your view on this because it's a very considered view. And I think, um, so on the other hand, we've got global central banks openly and and uh, on, off the radar monetary gold does not have to be disclosed when you bought it by it. And and we, we strongly feel that China's reserves and Russian reserves, uh, physical gold reserves are, are a hell of a lot larger than disclosed. And I think we see other central banks also accruing gold. Now, I think, yes, and I think over as these things evolve and as these ideas start to take hold, uh, I think at the margin, it doesn't take much at the margin to alter. Uh, the dynamics, and I think yes, of course. Ch- do you think China wants to destroy the dollar? Of course not. No. I mean, it would shoot themselves in the foot. So, but 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 over time, once you implement these things, and there is a, 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 you can come to some sort of agreement where you can use a, a, a stable uh, currency which is used outside the dollar for trading amongst yourselves. But you're bartering. If you would call it bartering. Um, using something you can trust. Um, this is a process, so it's interesting times, I think, as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And China,
0: China has a very long-term view about things. Very long-term. Yeah. They know all of the challenges that I mentioned before, with a little bit of humor and with the, whatever. But they know them. Hmm? But those things change, you know. You have capital controls. You don't have capital controls. Sixty percent of the European Union countries had capital controls only 35, 40 years ago. That changes now. Um, confidence in the uh, in in the stability of the of the currency that changes as well. The moment that the uh, that the central bank of China lets the yuan float without a fixing, uh, it takes. A few years for the market to say, "Hey, I trust this valuation no yeah it, and again the, china's view is 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 for the next uh, fifty a hundred years maybe I don't even think uh, <laughs> that far away. I'm not going to be there anyway but the the point that I'm trying to make is that from the Chinese perspective, they need to they they need to basically follow a number of steps. In the process of becoming uh, uh, the not a global reserve currency. I don't think that China wants to have a glo- the global reserve currency. I don't think that they care about it. But I think that what you just said is more important: is that a country that is going to rely on massive imports for a very prolonged period of time, and that is moving from from an economy that is based on exporting to an economy based on consumption, understands that in that process, hmm, having a way to manage the external account, the, the, the part of GDP that is created by exports minus imports, if those imports are going to be financed with a currency that is stable and that is backed by uh, golden commodities, then certainly is going to generate a much more uh, strength when looking at the ability to grow over time. Mm Uh, you know, the, the Chinese mentality is fascinating because of how different it is from the Western mentality. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how they look at fiscal balance from more or less the same perspective that we do, but they look at trade balance in a completely different way than we do. Mm-hmm. So they look at trade balance from a perspective of Chinese strength. Relative to the world, Chinese weakness relative to the world, not the way that the United States looks at it, which is, hey, other people mm, uh, build cheaper things for us and we have a negative trade balance. We're fine with that. It's a very different view. In order to grow over time, and continue to support an economy that is very centralized it makes absolute sense for china to look at a process in which there is some form of management of the trade balance with its own with its own or with a new or or more stable currency than uh, one the us dollar in which they see a government that is completely unable to reduce the deficit i mean we've just looked at the PB, at the at the uh, at the expectations of the congressional uh, office budget uh, i don't remember how it's called see uh, congressional budget uh, office the projections of deficits for the next 20 years are a, a trillion at least a year no so china must be looking at different aspects of how to manage that trade balance. Right. One was the Belt and Road Initiative. That wasn't very successful, to be fairly honest. Not a very good idea. Mm-hmm. Not a very good idea to lend to people that tend not to repay you. But, hey, you know, the second was, obviously, is to look at this. But it doesn't have to happen with Russia, India, Brazil. No, it can happen in a much more flexible way with different partners as long as it's fully backed by, uh, by commodities and gold. So the point that I'm trying to get to is that B, is that when I, is that me being the first that understands that the possibility of, deba- of, of, of dethroning the US dollar right now is virtually inexistent, shrugging it off is extremely dangerous. Is
2: extremely dangerous. Another thing. Uh, Switching to slightly, that's very interesting and and really appreciate your view on this. Um, Now, we're looking, something we're experiencing in this country, and I think this is something which I want your thoughts on. We have just witnessed the banking system becoming highly politicized. Now, if it had not been for Nigel Farage, who, by the way, I know and have appeared as a guest on his show with, had Nigel not used... His GB News platform to expose the reasons he'd been debanked because of his political views, um, and that uh, because they, they varied from Coots and which is a subsidiary of, of uh, NatWest Group, and worse, worse. What he found out because of got all the feedback, this debanking exposed literally tens of thousands of uh, uh, other bank accounts who'd been closed for non-banking mm. issues. This is huge. And, and obviously, we see, saw the CEO, Alison Rose, forced to resign today. I think what their shares went down 3% or something. But a, a bank account, to me, this is the issue. This is I think this is the bottom line. A bank account is a utility as important as having water or electricity. When you start playing these political games, where are we going with this, Daniel?
0: i think it is very dangerous i think it is very dangerous and yeah i knew of people that suffered the same thing uh before it became uh news mm-hmm. and uh and it's ve- and it's, it's it's very dangerous because um when when a bank You've mentioned what it is. It's a public utility.
2: No, it's public hmm? information.
0: Exactly. When a bank decides to put other objectives, whatever they are, hmm, uh, in front of the support and uh, and uh, you know and and uh, and, uh, and the defense of their own customers, it is basically destroying its own business. Hmm? and it's very and, and 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 again it's very dangerous one thing obviously we understand that hey if you have uh connections with the mob you are got, you might get your account frozen okay fair enough that's that's perfectly logical but we're taking a very dangerous step forward here hmm? which is a completely um discretionary decision to uh simply Close the bank account of somebody just because you don't agree with uh, their political views. Now think about that. If we, if that is, is starts to become a norm, no, it makes, uh, it, it it basically, to start with, it's going to make. You see, let me let me just go back where I was trying to get to. When a bank does that. Usually, when a bank or any entity does something like that, it tends to believe that the rest of customers are not going to worry because it doesn't affect them. However, when the rules by which we are all, you know, we receive for our services, for our utilities, etc., start to be discretionary and completely because of things that have absolutely nothing to do with, with what is logic, the rest of citizens don't react saying, oh, it's not going to affect me. They react saying, oh, I'm out of here because it may affect me for, and I don't know why. No? Mm? Very, very dangerous. Again, in a moment in which banks should not be should not be playing, even putting the slightest doubt on uh, customer confidence when they have the largest threat ever in the banking system history, which is central bank digital currencies in front of them. It's very, very dangerous to start playing around with, the, with what gives a bank hmm, the power to continue to provide this public service, no? which is the confidence of citizens. Now, if on top of putting in under question the confidence of citizens, they uh, have in front of them um, a serious threat like central bank digital currencies, they might be staring at the end of the banking system as, as we know it in the face.
2: I wondered if they were even connected because I I think it it just, to me, a a bank is a bank. It has no business doing anything other than banking. And now they they even admit that what they do is they are actually tracking clients um, who they think of. I mean, this is clients dealing legally, not doing anything illegal. Absolutely. They're tracking their, their, their social media posts, which if they do not agree with, are a trigger to possibly pull their accounts. And again, the, to me, because a bank account, you cannot survive without a bank account. It is a utility uh, as, as important as water or electricity. This is very concerning. And uh, as I say, I wondered if, as you just mentioned, CBDC, uh, central bank currencies, is this somehow, am I, am I being conspiratorial to think this may all be connected? Um.
0: I don't think so. I think it's different, but the same thing. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But this is my problem with um, this is my when you have a business that is a rent-seeking business or a uh, mm, I don't know you want to call it rent position business is the best way to, to describe uh, these types of, of, of companies um, and not from a negative perspective. You basically have generate revenues by because you have a certain position in an area or a, or a city or, 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 or wherever. Uh, when you have that kind of business, the managers need to understand that the likelihood of losing the confidence of customers in its entirety and making your business collapse, that happens faster than its ability to implement repression measures like the one that you just mentioned. So... If I am the CEO of the Daniel Lacalle Bank and I have a 20% market share in the UK and I decide to that the people that like uh, disco are not going to be allowed to have an account because I hate disco and I like rock and roll, hmm? um, my business disappears before I am able to uh, cut out of an account the people that don't like disco. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Is that position when businesses always fail to understand that they disappear earlier than the measures that they take to, uh, to give a worse service to their customers? And a bank, and we know how, and, and, and a bank. Out of all those businesses, from a utility to a restaurant, you name it, out of all those businesses, this is what banks don't understand, is that a bank disappears faster because the equity of a bank is much weaker relative in its balance sheet than any other type of business ever elsewhere. We have seen it with Silicon Valley Bank. It had 21, I don't know, uh, percent uh, uh, deposits to investments or whatever it was. I don't even care. Uh, we have seen how quickly the equity of a bank can disappear. So, so trust, trust is critical. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, and no, the the the, the decision to. Uh, to, to hurt customers is, is, is absolutely negative. And, and, I'm, and I'm going to go further with the thought. is. Imagine that there are five banks in a country, and the five of them decide to implement these measures and mm, take accounts from people. Mm? Okay. I'll tell you what happens. This is what they don't understand. This is what they don't understand is that the fifth is going to take the market share and change the strategy before the entire thing is implemented. They don't understand the business that they're in many times. They take for granted the number of customers that they have, the deposits that they have, etc., etc. etc. But the and I come back to the point, the equity of a bank is is uh, I had a, a one of my ex-bosses used to say that uh, bank uh, equity is the, uh, and I'm, let, me, let me come back to exactly the, the, the phrase, it was the glimmer of hope between its assets and its liabilities. Mm-hmm. So be very careful with playing with that glimmer of hope because it disappears earlier than the uh, ability to implement those repression measures
2: that's very well put and that that puts that into nicely into perspective and i think i think as it happened in this particular instance had nigel not had such a um a foghorn ability to to to, to disseminate this and it suddenly uh, we see proof um or or we, we get reports of that 10,000 other uh, uh people have been debanked and then we find that the bulk of those, it wasn't necessarily political views for those, it was because they deal in cash. And and I think that's another interesting point, that that this starts to be exposed. And, and you know, you pull the lid off one thing, and it leads to other things. And so that's why I'd mentioned this central bank digital yeah. currency thing, because obviously they don't want cash. Yeah. I mean, if, if I use cash, I'm a criminal. I mean, you know, I've got bad ill intent to use my cash, you know. So interesting
0: that is that is that is very interesting the, the, we live in an era in which financial repression is uh, supported by the by the idea that it's all about security which starts from a wrong premise is that everybody that uses a tool is because uh, they're doing something illegal no if I use cash it's because I want to and that does and you cannot say that you know that everybody that uses a car is going to use it to commit a robbery and 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 and, and, and run away no mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same way you cannot accept that with with cash but the 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 fight against cash is always mm, predicated on this on this false truth which is, hey, like like the one against uh, cryptocurrencies, no? Hey, they're used for illegal activities. Well, so is the dollar, so is the euro. By the way, to be fairly honest, not, not to be fairly honest, it is a, an empirical fact that the vast majority of illegal activities all over the world are conducted in U.S. dollars. That doesn't mean that the US dollar is negative. That doesn't mean that using dollar bills is negative. And certainly doesn't mean that a bank uh, has any right to assume that a large number of cash transactions or a short number, I don't care. It's not their job to do that. Their job, by the way, is to manage their balance sheet properly. And in that, uh unfortunately we have a
2: history of seeing that banks fail miserably well i think i think um daniel you you've been so so generous with your time this has been scur- extremely informative I, I think i just finish up on 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 gold um so basically uh, is and I, I think I probably know your answer because I know the, the, what what you what you what you're about. But essentially, is it advisable from whether in, from an investment point of view or a wealth preservation point of view that you sh- that people should have some exposure? I'm not sure what percentage you, you you think it might be, but some exposure to physical gold stored safely. Yeah. I, I am
0: 100% sure that a lot of our viewers are uh, familiar with the way in which uh, you you manage a football team. If you want to have a successful football team, you need to have strikers, and you need to have a defense, and you have to, need to have a goalkeeper. Gold is the goalkeeper in a portfolio. You need to have defense and goalkeeper, because we all see markets every day and we see them volatile and going up, going down. But in an environment like the one that we're living in, in which bonds and stocks are so correlated, Mm -hmm. that as you saw, as you said, in 2022 and now, in 2022, Stocks and bonds fell in unison, and in 2023, stocks and bonds rise in unison to the the point in which the most volatile and most risky equities, uh, technology stocks, rise with bonds at the same time, then you need to have a truly decorrelated asset that preserves wealth over time. And that is gold. So for those that like football, and I'm getting into very deep trouble because I know nothing about football or soccer for our American friends, you need. To, I'm sure that uh, with all my lack of knowledge that no uh, successful football team or soccer team has ever survived without a goalkeeper, the same with a portfolio, you need to have a percentage. The percentage obviously is not dictated by me, but by the client or by the investor's uh, exposure or or tolerance for risk and volatility. But you certainly
2: need to have it. Absolutely. And, and I probably think you might add some exposure to silver would not be a bad idea as well. Well, yeah. The,
0: I come back to, to, the, to, to the dreadful uh, football, or soccer analogy. Defense, okay? Silver, gold, palladium are there in the in a defense uh, or in the defense of, the, of a portfolio. So is the U.S. dollar, by the way, because everything we have in a portfolio that is in stocks and the highest uh, beta uh, exposed stocks is a huge bet against the U.S. dollar. To start with, now if you, we look at the market, the market is long something short the U.S. dollar. That is what it is. no it's, it's that is your pair. Uh, that is, uh, one uh, you need to have some exposure to the U.S. dollar. So yes, silver absolutely, uh, platinum, and obviously, uh, but, but, but uh, and this is an important element. Gold mm, is proven to be money in periods of uh, uh, challenging times, etc., Silver, less so. Not, not that it is not, but less so.
2: Well, Daniel, thank you so much. You spent a, a, a wonderful hour with us here. Uh, I do appreciate you very much coming in and giving us your view, which is a well-considered view, and I think people will very much appreciate that uh, to get it's all about education, it's all about knowing stuff. And I think when you know stuff, you can make better decisions. And I, I think, thank you for bringing that to
1: us today.
0: It's been an absolute pleasure, Andy. Great pleasure to speak with you.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Andrew McGuire, and special guest Danielle Lacalle for another fascinating discussion. And remember, buy physical and make sure it's one-to-one and understand the difference between what Andy affectionately calls the casino, paper, and you know gold and silver markets. And the actual physical gold and silver markets, they're not the same. Don't be fooled. And there you have it. That's all we have for you today on another episode of Live from the Vault. And please help spread the word about this channel by hitting that like button right there if you haven't already done so. Uh, Share this information and make sure uh, that you subscribe. Now, if you want to be notified in real time as each episode goes live, just click on that bell and we'll do just that. And with that, we'll see you right here next time on Live from the Vault. See you then.